Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey, Money Nerds, what is your 2023 goal? Like, tell me, what is it? I know for me, I'm really hoping to prioritize a lot more travel this year because with the pandemic and everything that was going on in the world, I didn't get to travel as much as I normally do. And that was such a bummer. But now I've got a new goal. I want to fly business class or first class, not exclusively, but mostly. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I've I've either got to increase my income to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a month, or I'm being sarcastic here. You probably don't need that much, but I think there's a better way. And that's what I really took away from today's guest, Zach Hood. Zach is the founder of Travel Freely, and he started this in 2017. His first experience with rewards credit cards, it really allowed him to propose to his wife in southern France, which is like the coolest, right? After getting hooked on points and miles, he failed miserably at staying organized with his rewards cards. And as a result, Zach created Travel Freely to help everyday people learn how to travel for free and put the details on autopilot. He currently resides in Denver, Colorado. My conversation with Zach was really awesome and inspiring because I know I talk about credit cards and hacking and all of this stuff, but I've got to be honest, I'm not really a huge credit card hacker at the moment, but I know I'm leaving a ton of money on the table. So what I've been trying to do is figure out ways with my new Airbnb projects and doing some of the real estate investing, how I can really use that to enjoy my travel and maybe get some of those business or first class flights so I can feel like I freaking hashtag made it. So here's what we're going to cover in today's episode. We talk about should you credit card hack when you're in debt? This is a common question we hear a lot. When you might consider downgrading a card with an annual fee. I thought this was really fascinating and really good tips there because there was a lot of information I didn't quite know. We also talk about which to choose, cash back or travel points and how you might determine which one's best for your life. The 524 rule with Chase. This is something where you probably listening to podcasts and stuff you might have heard before where people say start with the Chase cards. This is really why. So that 524 rule is what's going to help you understand why that might be the case and why that tends to be some of the common advice. We talk about types of expenses you can put on a card. We go a little bit beyond your normal Netflix, Hulu, groceries kind of stuff to things that will get your wheels spinning that you can actually put on a credit card that you may not have thought about before. And I also asked Zach how he would structure a plan for a total beginner with credit card hacking if they want the goal of traveling more, what he would specifically do. I thought it was really fascinating to see from somebody who has 20 cards himself and like 20, 25 between, well, actually they have like 45 between himself and his wife. And so they have a lot of experience with this. So it was really fun to see like as a beginner, what would he do? I really like Zach's apps as well. So definitely check out the show notes. There's two apps. There's two websites linked up, Travel Freely and Cash Freely, both of which are going to help you with the organization side of these like credit card hacking stuff because I, I think that's the confusing part. And so the apps are really helpful for that too. So I hope you go check those out. And I'm really excited to dive into this episode. So let's go ahead and get started. 
Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Zach Hood, thank you so much for hanging out. It is truly an honor, my friend. Thanks, Whitney. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. We got to know each other a little bit more before officially hitting record, but I'm curious for you, how do you describe what you do to strangers? Good question. I've tried to get better and better at it because I'm actually not that like concise on the spot. Uh, I need editing and all of that. But basically for travel freely, I tell people I help people travel for free. That'd be the short answer. And for cash freely, it's I help people earn more cash back than they think is possible. Um, And then the way that's done is by being really smart with using our app to stay organized and then learn how amazing credit card rewards can be if you use them responsibly and that they're just there for the taking. So the big part of it all is that it's your regular everyday monthly spending that you're maximizing. So it's not um, really anything else required. It's just maybe taking a different look at what you're doing and doing it smarter. I love that too, because I I like that it's approachable for so many people that listen to this podcast. They do struggle with tons of debt. They do struggle with, you know, trying to figure out how do I still enjoy my life and travel or get that cash back, but not take on even more debt. So I'm curious for you, maybe this is more of a philosophical question, is travel hacking or cash back hacking is this something that you would recommend people do before, during, or after they pay off debt? Definitely after, um, unless you feel like you're going deep dive on the research and you kind of covered all the bases. But mm-hmm. I would say that, like, especially with our sites and the app, it's like very upfront. Like, this is only for certain people, um, mostly people with really good credit people that trust themselves with their spending and uh, will always pay their balance off in full and all those kind of things. Um, if you're in debt in terms of like credit card balances, definitely like, you know, turn the podcast off right now and go listen, do something else. But if paying off the debt first is, is a huge focus, then this is almost like the reward at the end of that. If, um, you get everything organized, but I mean, what, what's your take on that? Pretty much exactly the same. I'm always curious because some, so many people, they do look at credit card debt and they're like, but man, I just wish I could just start doing more of the travel stuff. That seems so much more fun. And I think it is too, but I'm kind of with you. I I would probably personally just wait until you're out of credit card debt. Yeah. I mean, I have never, uh, I've watched my brother get in credit card debt, who's four and a half, five years older. So that was really good help for me getting started. And I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, listening to Dave Ramsey in middle school and oh, all the sure. horror stories of all that. So very carefully, I got into this, but I always saw it as something you're going to pay off in full. And I've ne- I've never really looked very much at like the interest rates when I'm getting credit card because I know I'm just paying it off in full. Mm-hmm. Um, so but if you do look at them, like you mentioned, people interested in travel cards, the the interest rates are the highest for travel cards, especially the premium ones. And, you know, that's part of the bank's game is like, we'll attract you with a big offer. And then oh, all of a sudden it's like a interest rate, like in the thirties or whatever. So it's definitely like very counterproductive if you're not, if you're going to be in data, then jump into this. So I think, yeah, we're on the same page. That's good. I like it. I like it. I'm curious too. How many credit cards do you currently have? Um, it's in the twenties. Um, oh, and that's, that's a combination of really. So that's a combination of personal cards and business cards. Cause maybe we'll talk about it. Business cards are a really great avenue as well for points or cashback. Um, and then my wife has her own cards too. So her cards probably number in the twenties as well. So as of like, you know, we both have separate credit profiles, which is 
another big secret people don't necessarily know about. So we can get cards separately and sort of double up on the bonuses. So oh. we don't necessarily have joint credit cards. We have separate ones. And then, uh, so that's, you know, as a family, we're in the forties, fifties with the cards, but <laughs> I know that's probably a huge shocker to a lot of people that are thinking like five or six is a lot of cards, but, sure. um, at the same time, I want to be clear, like I don't use most of those cards. There's, two or three cards that I'm using at most, most of the time. And like my approach is just mm. very stress-free on earning points and cash back. It's not like going after every little tiny point or penny here and there. And mm. so a lot of those cards are, um, have certain purposes or they're more what I would call like dormant where they're older and they're just there for really good credit history, credit score foundation. But I'm not like, uh, carrying around all these cards in my wallet and you know yep. spilling out over the counter when I'm, I'm paying for something. What was okay, so you've been you've been travel hacking and doing cashback for quite some time now, but I'm curious like what's the average age of your card or or of these 20 like are most of these like newer cards that you're trying to get some sign up bonuses or are some of these like do they have some long history there? Uh it's definitely a mixture and so before I got into this, I thought what you're supposed to do is like have a really clean credit history, meaning like don't have any old accounts. And so I got a card like for emergencies with a credit union in college. And I thought out of college, the smart thing would be to cancel that. And then realize about a year later that that would have been like a great anchor for my credit and have the longest account history. So since doing that, I've kept older cards and uh, those are, normally because I had a lower credit score, like didn't have much credit history. Those aren't very great cards to be using nowadays, but I still have them for the credit history. If, you know, you put like a recurring charge on there of a couple dollars a year, month or something, then you can kind of set it and forget it on auto pay, but keep that credit history. Mm -hmm. And then there's other cards that are definitely much newer that I'm opening to um, take advantage of a bonus or, you know, points or miles program, um, something like that. And so that it kind of averages out where I think my average age of credit is probably like 12 years. Um, oh, pretty good. And then, you know, the, the thing a lot of people don't realize, which was, uh, I know you said like your audience loves nitty gritty tips. So here's yeah. one that is really helpful. If you've got a card that you're like, okay, this is older and it has an annual fee, but it's really good for my credit history, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really use it. A lot of people don't realize that for the most part, most most cards you're able to downgrade to a no annual fee version of that card or what's called a product change Ooh. to a no annual fee card that is still in the family of that bank, but it no longer will be an annual fee. And the reason that is helpful um, from just a credit score perspective is even though you're changing into this different card, the actual credit history is tied to the original card and the original account you opened. So if I downgrade a card today that was 10 years old, I'm still going to get that 10 years worth of history. And and that's not going to go away on my credit score or my report, but it will uh, allow me to be in a card that's no longer an annual fee. And so there's... Yeah, a lot of those that I'm not using, but they're there for my credit score and um, they're not racking up annual fees. So that that's like a very common question. People are like, all right, you're going after these cards with great right. bonuses. Like you've got all these annual fees you're going to be paying over all these years. And it's it's not true because you can uh, you always have the choice for most of the cards to downgrade to an annual fee card. Um, and then from a travel hacking or cash back perspective, the other cool thing about downgrading is that most of the cards and the big bonuses you can get again if you don't have that card anymore. And there's certain rules that you have to follow, like maybe every two years, some are every four years. But if you downgrade that card, then eventually you'll actually become eligible for that other that original good card again and get that bonus again. So it's it's a win-win in terms of saving on annual fees and continuing to have a good credit score and then future free travel or cashback. That's so cool. I didn't realize that. Like I've heard of people downgrading their cards for the annual fee, but I didn't quite realize that the history transfers over. Does that go both ways? So if I were to start with like a starter card and then upgrade, 
does my history go to that too? Do you know? It in almost every case, there's been a few cases I've read about with city cards specifically where it might open a new account, but whether it's considered like an upgrade or a downgrade, it's mm-hmm. it's really the same thing in terms of keeping your original card's history. Um, the one thing that is in my ear as I say that from what you're saying is most of the time that's not totally advantageous because all most of the big bonus offers for the better cards require that you open a new account. So oh. if you were to upgrade most cards, you're going to miss out on that welcome bonus or welcome offer. Mm-hmm. So you may not want to do that. You may want to keep that original no annual fee card open and then open a brand new card to get the the bigger bonus. That makes sense. Okay. So, okay, let, let's start with, I think people kind of inherently understand some of the cashback versus travel points, but I don't know if they necessarily know which types of cards they should choose. Like, should we be optimizing for cashback or should we be optimizing for travel? Like, what are what are your thoughts there? I think a lot of uh, ink has spilled over that, like, dynamic of, like, people that have <laughs> totally. a firm, firm, like, belief of, like, points are so much more valuable or my miles or, you know, here's a redemption story. You could never do that with cash back. And that's great. But I think the, you have to step back and realize like, what's your personality? What are your needs? What are your preferences? And if you're not willing to like make this a huge hobby and you're nervous about points and miles and just like not knowing how to use them, Travel freely is meant to try to help you uh, do that. But if you know yourself and and I have one of my best friends, like he knows I do this, he sees all the travel we take and he still just wants cash back. Uh, <laughs> so I know that there's personalities out there that are like only want the cash back for whatever reason. Maybe they don't travel or maybe they just don't want to mess with points of miles. Then that's totally understandable. Like understand that you might get exhausted trying to keep up with all that and go with the cash back. So that's really my, my answer is like, it depends on your interests. And, you know, for the most part, if you do love to travel and you're able to do some points, that's going to be way more valuable than earning cash back. Because when it comes to redeeming points and miles, you can get way more value for those points versus like the actual cash value. So there's, Examples of like really good four and five star hotel stays that might be $250 worth of cash, the points value, but those hotels are actually in the thousands of dollars. So, um, oh, wow. You would have to, you would have to spend like tens of thousands of dollars to earn enough cash back to pay for that, you know, thousand dollar hotel stay. Whereas the points that you used didn't take that much to, to rack up. And then there's other cases like international business class for going to Europe or some big trip. And the the way you can use points to get those flights are incredibly valuable where you're getting, you know, maybe six to $8,000 flights for the cost of one signup bonus with a credit card. Whereas a cashback, you would still be having to pay six to $8,000. And if you, you know, do the do the math of what is you know two percent of earning x amount to equal six thousand dollars you're looking at what is that three hundred thousand dollars or something like that yeah. i did not think my mental math was very good but that's if that's right that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, um, yeah so it, it's it's definitely if you want to go into travel like definitely take a look at points of miles. And if you are just overwhelmed by all that, then, or you just want cash, then go with the cash. Um, and then within points of miles, there's kind of two different categories of rewards systems and points that you'll want to be careful about too. Mm, okay. So you said it depends on your personality, depends on what you want. If you are going to be traveling a lot, if that's a huge part of your life, maybe go for that. I think that the cool thing too is you can always change your strategy later. Like you can say for now, cash back is more important, but maybe I suspect I don't have kids, but I suspect if I do have children, I will be much more inclined to do travel points because it's so dang expensive to travel with them. So I could see that this being something that's maybe a little bit more fluid that you can just figure out as you go. Definitely. And to that point, like 
where I think about points and miles, there's kind of the co-branded cards where there's like a hotel card or an airline card where you earn points or miles specifically for that brand. And you're kind of locked into that where, you know, that's where I talk to a lot of people who like hate, hate points and miles because they have like a billion American airline miles and they've never been able to use it because like yeah. it's always way too expensive or they don't have availability and they just think it it stinks. But there's other kinds of points and miles, which would be more of the bank rewards programs. And those are much more flexible where you can almost book any kind of travel you want. And so those are the ones like we normally recommend first because they are so flexible no matter what your plans are, if you want a hotel or car rental or airline. And then the other piece to those programs is most of them have a really good cashback rate. So like if you don't, you could have the exact same card that earns cash back, but then if you really want it to be travel, it could also be travel. So there's few, a few of those that are kind of like hybrid uh, shapeshifters of cards being able to do for whatever purpose. And in the with Travel Freely, I call those Uno wild cards, like the Uno children's game, where like it doesn't <laughs> yes. matter what color it is or what number. It's like, I got a wild card. So for travel, you can do that with these cards, but also you can loop in cash back there too. So not all, but a lot of them have where you can just cash out one-to-one with your, you know, one cent per point. So it's a decent value for cash back people and you don't have to choose right away cash back card versus travel card. Do, do points in general, or even like the cash back, does that expire at some point or does it depend on the card? It depends. So cash back in, in general is normally coming back more often to you, either like just uh, where you can make a direct deposit, get a check sent to you or a credit statement, something like that. Um, there's a few that are like on a yearly basis, but most of them are monthly basis. And then the points of miles differ for the most part. We talked about those co-branded cards. If it's an airline or a hotel, those points of miles go directly to your loyalty program with the hotel or with the airline. And then you're basically up to the expiration dates of those programs, which have gotten a lot more friendly um, in in the last year or two of like a lot of them now don't expire at all. Whereas um, the bank programs are more tied to your credit card. So if you were to cancel that card, um, you would have to use those up. Um, and there's ways you can cash them out. You can transfer them to an airline or something like that. You can, you can use them up, but um, for the most part, that's kind of the, the breakdown is like, if it, if the credit card has a hotel or an airline brand logo, then it's up to that hotel or airline expiration policy. If it's a bank program, then as long as you have that card, they're never going to expire. But if you do close it, then you're going to need to figure out something to do with those. That makes sense. From your perspective, is there a reason? So I am so new to travel hacking. I like legitimately have two credit cards, both of which are Chase. (laughs) So I am not really, this is not my, my area at all, but I'm curious, like, is there a reason why so many people often say start with Chase? Like this is the advice that I was given and I couldn't even tell you why that was. Is there a reason why that tends to be the typical advice I hear? I think, yeah, definitely. There's a few reasons. One, the most practical is that they they are one of the biggest banks and they have the most like travel reward cards, um, like across the board. So like they have a lot of airline cards, hotel cards, and their own uh, bank rewards cards. So that's partly just because there are so many, but then also um, they have some of the best cards. So the, the flexible points that I was talking about, those Uno wild cards, a lot of the Chase cards can act as those very flexible points. And so people really like them. Another thing, just from my perspective, dealing like working with a lot of beginners getting started is like their user interface on their online portal is very friendly and easy to use, intuitive. And as I guess I'm an app developer now, but I'm very amateur, like one starting out. And it's just obvious, like they they've thought through how to make this easy for people. So if people are new and just starting out, like it's, it's an easy recommendation because they make it easy to use. Whereas some of the other banks, you just, you don't even know how to navigate some of the portal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't know how to use it, maximize it, all that. And then the more expert level answer to that question is that there's this credit card application rule from Chase called the 524 rule, which is spelled out like 
five forward slash 24, which means that Chase uh, will deny you for cards if you've gotten five or more cards in the last 24 months, Mm -hmm. mostly personal cards, no matter what bank you got them. So if you got a Target, Nordstrom, Old Navy, Home Depot, all those cards that are still going to count. So people that get into this and they're like, wow, I just got $1,000 worth of free travel with my regular spending. Like, okay, I want to do this again. Then they'll start to learn about that rule and realize that before you go after another bank's cards, then it's helpful to prioritize your Chase cards um, so that you can get those and you don't become ineligible for them. That makes sense. Okay. The 524 rule, that, that's good to remember. Are you, are you overwhelmed? Yes, you said you're a beginner and that's a that's like totally I mean tons of information so far. It is it is. I think the the part that always from a I've moved past this, but I do remember the part that I was so for a long time, like almost like anti-credit card hacking. I was like, oh my gosh, what people are doing is they're just spending way more money that they don't even have to get these bonuses and they're taking out debt where wouldn't it just be better if you just put that money aside? And I've grown past that because I understand that's not the case anymore. But I am kind of curious if, do you find that in order for this to work with a beginner, they need to look at their budget first, see exactly how much they're spending on a normal month. And if that doesn't fit for some of these bonuses, they just avoid it? Or is that kind of a, a naive statement? No, I think that's definitely right on. And another way, like a, maybe a shorter, easier way to say that is just for people to be able to know how much they spend on a monthly basis. So, and then within that, you know, how much can go on a credit card that you feel responsible for using. And then that's, you know, step one. And then step two is maybe there's some other expenses you don't realize could be used. You can put on a credit card, like uh, our health insurance, we can put monthly on a credit card, um, you know, car insurance. I think if you pay annually, there's even people that can pay, um, like if they own a home, like their property taxes, instead of having it go to escrow, they can pay for it. And then people that have their own businesses can actually pay estimated taxes with credit card with a fee. But if you do the math on the fee versus getting a big bonus, that can be very easy, fun to do, but it really starts with that regular monthly expenses. So like, what are your groceries? What are your, your dining expenses? And then all the other bills that you can put on a card. And then that kind of puts you in the category of what are the realistic bonuses you could hit. And for the most part, the average for people that don't know that very much about like the spending bonus or sign up bonus, Mm -hmm. it's basically, we'll give you X amount of points or cash back, which is anywhere from $100 all the way up to like $1,000 could be worth of free travel points or it could be cash back. If you spend X amount in the first three months, it's normally three months. And on average, that uh, requirement for a pretty good bonus is like three to $4,000 in three months. So $4,000 is you know about $1,350 a month. The average person, couple, family can normally hit that. And then if you find a few other ways that you're going to be maybe putting extra spending towards medical bills, car repair, or new uh, maybe you're, yeah, you, you, uh, that was the jinx there. You got, I was about to say fridge. So oh, yeah, really? new appliance <laughs> or, you know, I have a friend who will help people negotiate, uh, a car, a new car for a friend, if they let them put uh, a few thousand dollars on their credit card and then pay them back. <laughs> That's awesome. Because you can put a few thousand dollars on a credit card purchase for the most part. So there's all those like extra ways you can figure out how to spend money, but uh, or put money in expenses on a credit card. But it really starts with, if you know your budget well, to get back to your original question, that can, that can make it super easy to determine like, is this a card you should get and can hit the bonus? And I definitely recommend people like don't don't go after bonuses unless you know you can easily hit the spending. You don't want to be getting to the end of that like deadline and not being close and scrambling to figure out what to do. So definitely yeah. take only bite off what you can chew for sure. I think that makes a lot of sense too. There's a lot of, I guess maybe conflict or like confusion I have around 
the so we're always taught like for good credit building purposes don't charge more than 30%, right? Anything above 30% of the credit limit is going to hurt your score. Is this something where are the companies normally giving you enough of a credit limit so that you can still meet those minimums without hurting your credit or is it just something where you just have to like accept that maybe temporarily your credit might go down a few points while you're doing the credit card hacking to get the bonuses? I would say in general, you're getting a lot more credit than you need. Um, and especially if you're getting a couple cards, then you're going to get more credit than you need. And so normally for people that even take like a slow approach to this and get a few travel cards or cashback cards, it's pretty easy to stay under that utilization rate if you're if you have kind of regular monthly expenses on average. And so, you know, I think mine's like always been under 1% because there's so much available credit across all these cards that doesn't really, you know, it's like almost a non-factor because you do have all this available credit. And it, it, that brings up the point that like the number one question people ask when they start to learn about like how to do this, like this could be really intriguing, get free travel cash back in in an easy way Um, is like, what about my credit score? And like, this can't be good for it. And, you know, kind of like put their hands on their hips and like, tell me, tell me what you, what you have to say about that. And you really nowadays can just do a quick Google and realize that the credit score formulas are actually like in your favor as you start doing this. And it actually leads to your scores going up and probably higher than if you would have just kept doing what you're doing, because the big factors for your credit score are, do you pay on time? Do you have a really good utilization rate, which you're referring to? Like, how much do you have on the card when the credit, uh, when the banks report your balances versus your overall credit limit? And then the things like credit inquiries and your age of account history are much more minor. You know, people get really scared about the credit inquiries by applying for a card, but that's like four to 5% of a factor for your overall credit score. Whereas if you pay on time and you've never gone bankrupt and you've got a really like good reputation of using all this credit, then that far exceeds it. And then as you imagine getting more, a few more credit cards gives you more overall credit limit, which makes your utilization go much uh, smaller, go down on average. So it, it actually, all um, adds up to improving, except for maybe those credit inquiries, it it all improves your credit score. And so on average, like someone's going to see maybe the first month uh, on a real credit score. So there's like the Vantage score, which is like used by all the fintech tools to sell you their products. And that's not necessarily your real score the banks are looking at. Then there's the FICO score, which is much more on, on par with what's the real score. And so the FICO, it may go down three or four points with a new account. And then over the next 90 days, it it goes back up and exceeds for the average person, it'll meet and exceed and go higher overall. So it's, it's very, it's very common for people that are doing this to have their scores in the 800s and that's just normal. So it it Mm -hmm. really is advantageous. Um, That's really good to hear. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stigma around if you do this, your credit score can't be good because of, yeah, the, the hard inquiries, the now you have all of this extra credit. It's like it, it's very counterintuitive. You wouldn't necessarily think, but you are correct. Like from that credit building perspective, I could see that working really well. I'm curious. This is just always so fascinating to me. Paint us a picture. Like let's assume that every card has a roughly $4,000 minimum spend to get these bonus points. What would one year, if you were a beginning card person, you're starting to get into hacking, you want to travel, you really want that business class, damn it. This is like me. This is what I really want. It's my dream. Mm-hmm. How would you how would you structure this if you were a brand new person looking at a one-year time frame? Yeah. So I think it goes preface that with the answer to the like cashback first points and miles question is like know your comfort level of your spending and then just know how you're comfortable with the credit card so like you can do a lot if you just get one card <laughs> if you get one card right now you're 5 years ahead of somebody else that's going to use the same card for 5 years and get one one or 2 cents per dollar um, spent but if you want to get into it and be more strategic then 
you could really get one card every 90 days is like kind of the conservative approach for someone that wants to be really smart about it because it seems like 90 days is the magic time where like the banks, when they're doing a credit inquiry, they look back on the last 90 days. And so if you have not gotten a card in the previous 90 days, then your chances of approval looks great and keep moving forward. And so that would be my advice would be if you only want to get one card, get one card. If you want to get one card, see what it's like, then keep going, then do that. My advice has always been like, get the first card, get your bonus, book your free travel or use the cash back to buy something cool and then see how it feels. Like, was that good? Was that stressful? Like, do you want to do that again? And most of the time people that are like checking in at their free hotel are like, okay, we want to do this. (laughs) Um, And so definitely like start with one card, but then to your question of like a strategy, I think one card every 90 days is, is really good. And within that, I would look at what kind of travel you like to do and keep it simple to those like flexible, you know, wild cards where mm-hmm. you can earn, you can get a couple cards that are in the same points that pool together. So then you're only having to deal with one rewards program. You don't have to like have all these bucket of points in different places. And then you can pull them together and use them even just from the standpoint of like paying off your bills or checking your balances. You only have one login and password and you're not like going all over but then the where it gets fun, which I love, like the strategy question is if you if it's just you, but you have a business, then that's actually another path of getting cards. And if you're a couple, you can both get these cards. So that's where it gets fun and a little bit complicated. But like if you're a couple, you can apply separately for the same exact card and you can both get the same exact bonus without. Uh, and, and so you've gotten two of the same card, the same exact rewards. Most of those programs allow you to combine those points and you're not even, it's really just like one new card, um, one new program. And then if you have a business, there's also business cards that are, you know, in the same family as those cards and you can earn the bonus for the business card and pull all those points together as well. So I would be recommending that you look at one like points ecosystem, if you will, to be able to earn maybe a couple personal card bonuses plus a business card bonus and keep it simple there. And then if you have a favorite airlines or a favorite hotel chain that you you definitely fly on often or stay often, then that's when you would want to look at getting one of those cards that kind of like uh, tier two is like the airline and hotel cards, like get those kind of MVP Uno cards first and then branch out to the hotel and and the airline cards. And then one thing to explain on those Uno cards is basically a lot of those have what they call transfer partners. So Chase, uh, another reason people like Chase is they are the only rewards program that has Southwest as a transfer partner. So what that means is cool. any Chase points you earn you can transfer one-to-one over to Southwest. So if uh, if you've had a Southwest for card for 10 years, all you do is travel on Southwest. And I hear this all the time. So someone's like, oh, you do points of miles? I do too. I love it. I have a Southwest card. I've had it for 10 years. And it's just, it's amazing. I fly everywhere. Like every couple of years I get a free flight. And so that's actually like great for them, but they're like totally ignorant of what else is, is possible because there's multiple cards that earn these chase points that can transfer directly to Southwest. So then that, that person's missing out on like uh, hundreds of thousands of points that they can earn from chase and then transfer over to Southwest and have those as Southwest miles. And they also can first for chase, they can also be United JetBlue, Hyatt is a hotel partner that's really valuable. So that's where it really is kind of like an Uno wildcard. You can send these points over to different airlines and hotels. So um, that's why it's very flexible. You don't have to be like, oh, should I choose the American or Delta card or Southwest? It's like, we'll get one of these main MVP cards and then you can see what you want to do. And you don't have to actually choose which airline and be locked into that because mm-hmm. plans change or the prices or the availability changes. It, it gives you a lot more flexibility. That is such a good tip. I love that you shared that. That really does. 
I guess, reassure me in some ways too, of maybe I did make the right decision, at least with starting <laughs> with the cards. Cause there's mm-hmm. always that American airlines one where it's like spend a dollar and you get all, I'm like, dang, mm-hmm. that seems really tempting, but I rarely fly American airlines. So I'm like, Oh, well, I don't even know if it's worth it, but this does give me a little bit more peace of mind to see that I can kind of trade it and transfer points, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah. You definitely want to be as flexible as you can. If you're not a super fan of an airline or hotel and yeah. You know, the the marketing is just like crazy genius. Like the banks, the hotels, the airlines make so much money off points of miles and rewards that they're spending a lot of money on marketing. And so those offers are going to seem like good deals. Like there is going to be that impulse, but you've got to like really check yourself and be like, do I really fly on this airline? Or like, do I like right. these miles? And then the other piece of it is sometimes the points and miles aren't worth exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So like one example with hotels, like uh, Hilton sends a lot of mailers out at Amex and Hilton, and they'll have huge offers for the credit cards, like 150,000 points. And people think that's amazing, but their points are worth like a third to a fourth of some of the other oh, points. Really? So, <laughs> so they get um, you. It's it's not apples to apples in that case. So you've got to be a little diligent and like, just cause there's tons and tons of points doesn't mean they're great points. Yeah. And so that the, the good part of that is the offers do exist. And if you, you know, take a little time to research, which one's best for you, then you're going to be able to take advantage and like really, really get good value. And I presume on your your two different apps. So we've got travelfreely.net and cashfreely.net. I presume that you've done a really good job of educating people like me <laughs> on, on how to do all this stuff. Is that is that a fair assumption? Uh yeah. So like that's that's like the main audience is like someone that has never done any of this before and basically just get the app and it'll teach you. Perfect. It'll teach you and it'll help you get organized and stay organized. That's where like the tech savvy stuff comes in. But my background is in education and I was an elementary school teacher when I created Travel Freely and it felt really odd like doing this in tangent. But looking back, it was almost like a really good fit because I was translating these like more complicated concepts into like bite-sized understandable lessons. And so the app and the site really became this like beginners 101 feel of like how to get started and it's not we've covered way way more than i cover in like the app or the intro materials in like the very first day or like when you sign up like what we've covered already is like a week or two's worth of like the the beginner email series or like webinar and like i'm very aware this can be like really overwhelming to people and some people want it all at once and other people like we have an email intro course and it's it's basically like bite-sized chunks of all of this. And Sweet. we're trying to think like how much can someone handle in one email and then I'll, I'll be your test we'll dummy. You this concept. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the and there's you know, there the app is the fancy tool, but I would say it as much as there is cool technology that's part of it it's very heavy on just the education and helping people get started. So there's videos, email series, um, beginner steps, all those kind of things that are meant to help people not know anything and get started. And if you love videos versus reading articles, there's those different options. That's so cool, Zach. I love that you created this because it's so helpful and so confusing and it just seems very overwhelming. So I love that you're making it more bite-sized and approachable so that people can just maximize what they are already spending. It's just, a, I think it's a really cool world. And I'm, I'm really excited for people that once they do pay off their credit card debt and they're responsible with their money, this is like a totally new world that I'm excited for them to step into as well. Definitely. And I would say like our, our sites, the approach is the 80, 20, where like, what is the least amount of work I can do to get the maximum value. And that's, that's the whole approach I take is like, you don't have to spend hours and hours on this. Literally the coolest parts about it, the biggest wins are the easiest things to understand. And if that's all you do, you're way ahead of the average person and you're not too far from behind the expert who spends 10,000 hours figuring it out. You literally (laughs) just can spend 20 minutes a month and get tons and tons of value. So that's, 
that's a big goal of mine is like, this is meant to be for busy everyday people who realize, yeah, my, my regular expenses aren't, you know, earning that much, or I know I'm missing out, or I have a friend that takes these crazy trips and they do it with points. So I want to jump in and learn how to do it. And that's, we just will teach you the the big wins and, and block out the rest of the really hard, complex stuff. Thank goodness. I love that so much. I have really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so fascinating. I think we need to bring you back on for part two because there's so many <laughs> questions that I could dive into. Um, but for time's sake, I will wait for part two. So we'll have to schedule a time to do that because I think it'd be really Sounds fun. good. Awesome. Before yeah. we officially part ways, Zach, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Yes, I think so. I'm uh, normally not good <laughs> at this, nervous. but we'll see. <laughs> Put you on the spot, right? It is always so yeah. nerve wracking. I love it. Okay, so my first question for you: this will be this will be an easy ish one. Okay, maybe. where is one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, easy answer: New Zealand. That'd be fun. That would be so yeah. fun and so expensive. Um, in what way? The flights there. Well, so we're planning to go to New Zealand in a few months and then long term we're trying to take our family there for um for a longer extended stay. Um and we've already got my wife and I are going to go on like the scouting trip in February and we've already got flights um $14 is the cost of those flights. Um, oh my gosh. She's she's in business class. There's only one business class available, so she's in business class. I'm in coach, but hopefully we'll swap a little bit. <laughs> yeah, midway so through. that, I mean, that's the really, really cool thing about points of miles is like, uh, that became so cool to me. Cause I do love, like, I don't love points of miles. I love to travel and I love yeah. cultures and points of miles are the means to that. And so when you realize like you can open up Google earth, Google maps and be like, if I can get anywhere for free, like this opens up a lot of things. So, mm. um, the flights can be free then, you know, you don't have to just go to Florida every year for vacation. You can go all sorts of places and where you go might even be cheaper, like for your meals and your everything else than where you normally go. That's so cool. I'm excited to follow along and see all the trip pictures. I hope you share those. Yeah, definitely. All right. My next question for you, what is one book you find yourself gifting to others most often? Wow. Uh, so I have a nine month old and a four year old, so I'm not reading a ton right now <laughs> totally. and I'm not even thinking about giving gifts to people too much right now. But I think there's one called transforming mission, which is all the way back to like my grad school days of like studying, uh, different mm -hmm. cultures. And it's a man who's from South Africa who, um, has interacted with a lot of different cultures and he he's a Christian theologian, but he's understood like the value of like different cultures interacting with each other and the value that we have uh, is seeking interculturation where like you both have gifts that you can give each other. You both have critiques you can give each other, but that kind of conversation is incredibly valuable. It has brought a lot of words to like what I've experienced when I've been traveling is like yeah. just the joy of learning new things the way people do things differently. Like I grew up in the South, very like one way to do things, one way to dress and all that. And like different cultures have taught me so much about, you know, what is life-giving and fun. And then, you know, we can interact with that. So that that's kind of the concept that has come to mind. That's so cool. And that book is called what again? Transforming Mission. I don't even know if you could find it like on Amazon. It's that's like, it's awesome. more of like a nerdy grad school book. Um, those are the best though. I love those kinds of books where it's like you, you don't necessarily see it in all the Barnes and Noble stores and whatnot, but you have to like go seek it out. I think those books are always the best. I yeah, love that. Thank for you sure. for that suggestion. Yeah. I would all dare right. say no one's suggested that. You are correct before, on maybe. that, my friend. Like <laughs> you are the only, and maybe the only on this podcast to ever suggest it. Who knows? Okay. Maybe somebody will listen to it or pick up that book and be like, all right, this is it. <laughs> you mm -hmm, never know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's super cool. All right. My last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Wow. Monster question. I would say communication with people who are very smart <laughs> with finances uh, is super important because of how much you can learn. And I guess when I say people that can be authors, podcast hosts, bloggers, all sorts of people, both 
listening and learning and interacting. I think like you're always getting more information that way. And then it's, it's everywhere. I guess it's pretty obvious, but just like having a plan is the number one thing. It's really hard to like not know what you're doing if you have a plan, because if it's not a great plan, you'll find that out and you'll make adjustments. So I think having good voices and good education and then making a plan, which I guess is putting those, that advice and that help into action. I love that. That is such a good answer. I love it so much. (laughs) Zach, this was such a fun way to wrap up the conversation. Thank you again for your time and for creating these resources for people to understand this new world a little bit more. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Whitney. Okay. What'd you think? I love this episode. I thought it was so interesting to hear Zach's process between cashback and travel and what he's working towards in his own financial life. I thought it was really fascinating to hear. And I know I definitely learned a lot. I think my biggest takeaway, my biggest takeaway was that you can downgrade a card that has a yearly fee and still inherit all of that history. It doesn't hurt you. That was really helpful for me to hear that because sometimes it does feel a little bit confusing and you don't want to sabotage your credit score. Like I I get it. But those were my takeaways. What were your takeaways? Tell me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. Come say hi. Send me a DM. Let me know you're listening in. I'd love to connect with you and just learn a little bit more about your financial goals and just cheer you on along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love the support and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.